when it shifted for me was waking up in ICU. Yeah. So I, it had been, by the time I'm waking up and starting to kind of have these flashes of memory in ICU, it had been about 24 hours. Mm. I was numb from the waist down. Um, I'd taken so many pills that I, I couldn't feel my legs. I was hooked up to all kind of machines, as you can imagine. And my wife's there. My best friend is there. And they're trying to piece together what's happened. My wife's totally in denial going, you know, did you just get your meds mixed up? Mm. Um, and I'm having to tell her, no, I, I meant to die. I don't mm. want to be here. Um, all of that happens. Eventually, the next day, they leave to go home because my wife has a, a one-year-old birthday party to throw. Mm. And... I'm there by myself in this cold ICU room. Why does the hospital have to be so cold? I'm there in this cold, cold ICU room. It's dark. I'm by myself for the first time. And I feel this warm hand on my chest as real as if you were right here with your hand on my chest right now. Mm. And I hear this inaudible voice whisper, Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 107. And today we're sitting down with my friend Steve Austin, who has an incredibly powerful story. Um, he survived suicide, and today he's going to share his story with us. And so if you're somebody who is struggling with shame, uh, maybe you feel or maybe you're approaching that time where you feel like you're just at the end of your rope, like you don't know what to do with certain situations, certain people um, anymore, He's got a message of encouragement uh, for you. So I'm glad that you tuned in today. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, go find him on Facebook. I'll put his links um, in the show notes so you can go find him. He's got some books out. Go read his books. Uh, super encouraging guy, and he's become a real friend to me um, over these last few months since we've been um, introduced uh, by our friend Mike, who is a listener of the podcast. So howdy doody, Mike. Hope you're doing, hope you're doing well. Uh, real quick, uh, slight rant. Uh, I'm sitting at my desk right now, looking out my window, and I can see my daughter's swing set. Now, if you follow me on social media, you know the story of the swing set. But if you if you don't, uh, here's the story. So we've been dealing with the pandemic stuff since March. Uh, obviously, life has not been normal. My daughter's three. She's been angelic. She's had her difficult days, but for the most part, super duper. And so... At Apple, or for Apple, they let us uh, cash out our vacation hours that we haven't used. And so since we're not planning on going anywhere because, hello, pandemic, uh, I figured, you know what? Like, I'm working from home, and so why not just cash out my vacation hours and buy, like, a monstrous swing set? Like, not not talking, like, one of those little dinky aluminum things. I'm not even talking about a little wooden one. I want a big one. So we bought, we bought this, uh, this wooden swing set that's got like a castle on it, a fort, a bench, a glider, a couple swings. And 
I said, I'm going to put it together. No problem. And so it shows up on the truck and it's two boxes that aren't really, it's like maybe it's maybe six feet long and I don't know, half a foot wide. I'm like, that's it. I said to my wife, I'm like, I'll have this thing put together in like a few hours. And she's like, well, I read online that it says like 15 to 20 hours for someone who's a master craftsman and has a helper. I'm like, whatever. Like I could, I have a, I have a doctorate. I'm, I'm a doctor. I can figure this out. I opened this box. I ha- I don't know how they jammed all these pieces into the boxes. I mean, the bag of screws was like 80 pounds by itself. And I mean, God forbid they should all be the same size, right? They're all different size screws, different size nuts and bolts and lock nuts and all these things I never heard of before. And the instructions, I mean, it was a 90 page book and it was just, you need, you need, you need a doctorate in like instruction manuals just to understand what this, I had to download an app with a video to show me how to do it. Like it was crazy. It took me like 15 hours to put this thing together, but it's out there. It is awesome. It's so cool. Uh, I want to go out and like sleep in it. I think it's really cool. But anyway, that's my little rant. Uh, love the swing set. Follow me on social media. You'll see some pictures uh, for sure. A couple things before we roll the tape. Uh, number one, patreon.com slash project is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you in your faith, uh, consider giving to it a little bit every month, anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month. Every tier gets a uh, reward. Uh, also the heretic shop. You can go buy some t-shirts, some hats, some stickers, I'll put all the links to those things um, in the show notes. And today's special music is from my friend uh, DJ K-Dot. We work together at Apple. Uh, She's one of my favorite people, always there with an encouraging word, inspiring word. Uh, She has a great story, uh, very gifted, lots of passion, and uh, making a big difference in her world. So go to Apple Music, Spotify, all the places, download her music, pass it around, and you will not be sorry. So all that to say, like I said, uh, episode number 107 And it's my conversation with the one and the only Steve Austin. Enjoy. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words, cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you get me, you get me, you get me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes me, baby. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we are joined by author, coach, ex-pastor, uh, Steve Austin. So Steve, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's good to finally catch up with you. Oh my goodness. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So I first heard about you from a listener of the podcast who said that you spoke at his church, I believe, and uh, I needed to reach out to you and bring you on the podcast. And uh, he kept going at me saying, you have to talk to this guy. You have to talk to this guy. And so here you are, finally. It was getting <laughs> really expensive. So I'm glad that you finally <laughs> took the bait. <laughs> shout um, out to Mike. <laughs> shout out to Mike, Mr. Mike. Yeah. Uh, so I read your book too at his recommendation, uh, Catching Your Breath, which uh, for our listeners is subtitled The Sacred Journey from Chaos to Calm. And it really resonated with me and uh, my own journey. So I wanted to start by thanking you uh, for your work. I mean, I follow you online. Uh, you Thank put you. out really 
rich content uh, every day. And I look, you're one of the people I look forward to seeing like, what's Steve going to post today, especially in the midst of all of the COVID-19 posts that are out there and all the, the stuff going <laughs> on. You're always a, a flurry of hope <laughs> that comes up oh, to my Facebook feed. Flurry so of you. hope. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> so to kind of kick off the conversation, uh, I was wondering if you could maybe just start by telling us your, some of your story. You know, who are you? Uh, what has chaos to calm look like for you? Maybe some of the highlights of your, of your journey. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again. So, boy, I grew up evangelical. Um, don't hold it against me. But, I, you know, I say that tongue in cheek. They're still my people. Hmm. Um, I get them. <laughs> I, I don't agree with them, but I get them. Sure. And uh, so grew up evangelical, grew up uh, very small town, rural Alabama. And church was it was a part of our life. It was our life because I think, well, first fear-based theology kept our asses in the pews, Mm. but also small town church really does this amazing job of providing immediate community. Mm. It provides this immediate friend group, this immediate like mentor opportunity, if that's what you want. It provides immediate opportunities to volunteer. You walk in the door and they provide all these things immediately. Here's your whole new everything. (laughs) It's like a brochure of here's all the relationships you can have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. for better or worse. Yes. And so from my experience, at least in small town America, the church not only holds the corner market on religion, but it also holds the corner market on social life. So I grew up there. We were in church every time the doors were open. My dad was sort of the every Sunday solo singer, like he was that guy. Hmm. Um, Mom was always involved in volunteering. I, I did my God vacation Bible school, which turned into, you know, youth group and youth leadership and eventually Bible college and church was, it, I was a church rat. That's what I told mm. people. I, I grew up there. I lived there. We were, it was everything for us. But then we have to back up. When I was just a preschooler, I was sexually abused by the neighbor boy who lived across the street. Mm. So I was somewhere between three and four. He was about 17. Mm. And Again, small town Alabama where everybody knows everybody and what we don't know about you will make up. And so, and then you add on top of that, very young, immature parents who were trying to do their best with what they had, but they didn't have a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And so because of all of that, they thought the best thing to do would be to threaten this kid within an inch of his life. Uh, they happened to know that his dad was a raging alcoholic and they feared for this teenager's safety. And they naively thought this little three or four year old little boy is never going to remember this again. It happened one time. He's never going to remember. Let's not, let's not go to all this craziness and get the police involved and have to go to court and all this. This is a baby. Let's not traumatize him further. Now, Those are wrong decisions. Let's be real clear. That is not the right choice. Um, And and we've had to work through a lot of that. Mm -hmm. However, it's the choice that was made. 
And so the abuse was swept under the rug. You know, we prayed for Jesus to fix it, for the blood of Jesus to cover it, because we were going to the Baptist church, but we were very much Pentecostal charismatic. (laughs) And so, you know, we pled the blood of Jesus, and then we moved on. We didn't talk about it again. And that's where shame is introduced into my story at a very early age, because I told the story the first time there in the bathtub. I'm still little enough that mom's giving me a bath at night and she sees these red marks and starts asking questions. And that's the only time I ever told my story without shame. And so, so that's, that's kind of the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then when I was about nine, uh, my dad got a new job. We moved to the other side of the County. We got involved in a, in an assemblies of God church. (laughs) I like the uh, way you really, said that. <laughs> yes, they uh, they really put the ass in assembly. But anyway, yes. the the AG Church, sorry, the AG Church that is might be the title of this episode. No, <laughs> yes, is they're basically Southern Baptist plus the Holy Ghost. Mm. So here's what I need to know: Have you ever talked with someone or talked on this show about the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? Uh, no. So why don't you, why don't you give us a lesson? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So Take us I, in. <laughs> from my extensive into this. research, <laughs> <laughs> the very big difference in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, I didn't know about until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. The Holy Spirit is is the comfort that Jesus talks about sending after he ascends, right? Mm, The Holy Spirit is wisdom and love and guidance and God with us, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's but like I grew spirit, up with like this monk and spirit. Yes. Yes. Figure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. What I grew up with was the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is like it's like you're like your crazy uncle Tommy and you're like, he's just one tick off of center and very unpredictable. He's probably always a couple beers in at Thanksgiving. Like (laughs) that's the Holy ghost wild and unpredictable. Make your grandma look like a chicken at the altar. People are running and shouting and like, that's the, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) So that's, that's the version of God that I grew up with. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that was completely unnecessary. We just no, we have like to talk it. about the difference in those two. Okay, that, we'll have to do like a whole episode about that. Oh man. I'd love to know other people's experience with the Holy ghost. Cause you'll you get go. some stories. My friend. Oh, that's for sure. I have some <laughs> of my own. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So, um, yeah. So from there it was a couple of years of Bible college and, and then about 10 years of, of ministry, a mm-hmm. youth pastor and uh, worship leader, work all the while sweeping my pain under the rug, sweeping Mm. the trauma from this abuse under the rug, the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD, because in the world I grew up in, you could be a Christian or you could be crazy. Mm. And that's a terrible word we shouldn't use, but I'm using it to make a point here. You could be one or the other. You couldn't be both. There was no integration of mental health and spiritual health. Mm. And so you learned very quickly keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, fly under the radar, learn when to stand, sit, kneel, say amen. Mm. And that's it. But don't embarrass your family. Don't embarrass your pastor. Um, just, you know, keep it together. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the world that I grew up in, which leads to the age of 29. I've been married five years. 
Lindsay and I had a, a little boy that would turn a year old the next day. Mm. I've been serving as a youth pastor and or worship pastor for about 10 years, and I just couldn't handle the pressure anymore. Mm. The pressure of performance-based Christianity. Um, you mean there's says, pressure when you're a pastor? No. Man alive, are you <laughs> kidding? Yeah, yeah. add that on top of it. I'd, I'd been living, you know, 20-something years of just typical pressure of being this performance-based Christian. Sure, sure. Yeah, then you add the pastoral role on top of it. I would, <laughs> So I would put my prescription bottles in my lunchbox. Mm. I would take my lunchbox into the staff bathroom at the church, lock the door, go in the stall, lock the stall, and take my meds in the stall in the bathroom mm. because I was scared to death for anybody to know that the youth pastor is having to take meds for anti-anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so much shame yeah. and it, so long story short, I attempted suicide at the age of 29 because I just believed that I was a burden on my wife. She was the only one that knew of all these struggles mm. and that it would be better for her at 27, young, smart, beautiful, capable, independent, could do anything. She could start over. She could find a, a normal husband. Mm. This little baby boy that turned a year old the next day, he would never remember me. He could have a, a new dad, a normal dad. He could, he could start over. And so, so when people talk about suicide, they talk about how it's the most selfish thing you can do. Mm but it doesn't feel that way in the moment. In the moment, it feels like the most selfless thing that you can do. And that's sort of the, that was the tipping point for me. When I got to that point and said, I'm actually doing you a favor, then I could, I could justify ending my life. Mm. So here we are almost eight years later after spending three days in ICU, a week on the psych ward, countless hours of therapy and marriage counseling years later. Um, and I can tell you that I don't think it was the anxiety that nearly killed me. I don't think it was the depression that nearly killed me. I don't think it was the PTSD that nearly killed me. I think it was the shame of all those things. Mm. I think shame was the killer. Mm. Yeah. And you go read the Bible, look at Adam and Eve. I think it's not sin that's introduced into the garden. It's shame. That's right. Shame is, that's where shame is introduced. It's right there in the garden. Yeah. And I think what you said about, you know, the, the church is that, you know, it's been my experience too, that the church doesn't always know how to handle things like that. And I think yeah. for me, like growing up, it was like, if you have a problem, you're the problem. It's because oh, you're, you're not going to church enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. Join another Bible study. Yep. Now it's download another devotional on your phone. You know, it's pray more. It's, you know, have an accountability partner. Like if, if you're not okay, it's because you're not doing something right. And I didn't the right button on the vending machine. Absolutely. The, the thing out that you want. And so as you're telling your story, I'm wondering like when, like that kind of thinking is obviously like ingrained in you, I think when you're young, right? Sure. And so yeah. it becomes normal. Like when in your mind did it become abnormal? Like when in your mind were you like, wait a minute, like this, mm. this isn't something that's right. Like did it happen after the suicide attempt? Was it sometime before that? Like when did that become a problem in your mind? Boy, there were glimmers of hope when I was in 
Bible college, my Mm -hmm. second year of Bible college specifically, um, I got my hands on what at the time was the most heretical thing I'd ever read. And it was the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brandon Manning. Oh, boy. Yeah, Yeah, that was the start for me. (laughs) Now I look at that and go, (laughs) (laughs) that was nothing. (laughs) Yeah, so conservative. (laughs) So that was the beginning for me, getting my hands on that and going, no, surely not. Surely there's not a God who could actually like me. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, then a few years after that, I got my hands on the shack. Yeah. And boy, wow. Yeah. By the way, uh, after becoming friends with Paul, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a pretty conservative guy too. <laughs> yeah. As it goes, the like Paul's a Trinitarian. He yeah. is theologically pretty stinking conservative. He just happened to make God a black woman in his book. <laughs> yeah, I talked to him on the podcast once and I asked him something and he didn't give me the answer I was expecting. And I was like, oh, yeah. maybe I'm not going to go down that trail. I'm going to get a halt no, and, he, and pivot to another he's direction. He's <laughs> not, not very liberal at all theologically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but oh, what a great guy. Anyway. Have you seen the movie, um, by the way? Love it. Yeah, oh, yeah, love it. Read the book, I think, eight times. I've seen the movie twice. So good. Um, yeah. I don't know what your question was. <laughs> oh, we were talking. <laughs> we were talking about uh, when. When did shame become a problem in your? your oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it started with those books. Um, yep. Going, man. Maybe there's a better version of God out there. But quickly, I would have to just push that away, burn the book, like <laughs> so give it away. What? Get this out of the house. I can't be caught reading this stuff. Hide it in the bathroom stall in the church. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. So there were glimmers of hope back then when it shifted for me was waking up in ICU. So I, it had been, by the time I'm waking up and starting to kind of have these flashes of memory in ICU, it had been about 24 hours. I was numb from the waist down. Um, I'd taken so many pills that I, I couldn't feel my legs. I was hooked up to all kind of machines, as you can imagine. And my wife's there. My best friend is there. And they're trying to piece together what's happened. My wife's totally in denial going, you know, did you just get your meds mixed up? Mm. Um, and I'm having to tell her, no, I, I meant to die. I don't mm. want to be here. Um, all of that happens. Eventually the next day they leave to go home because my wife has a, a one-year-old birthday party to throw. Mm. And, I'm there by myself in this cold ICU room. Why does the hospital have to be so cold? I'm there in this cold, cold ICU room. It's dark. I'm by myself for the first time. And I feel this warm hand on my chest as real as if you were right here with your hand on my chest right now. Mm. And I hear this inaudible voice whisper, I'm not finished with you yet. And I just started crying because whatever you believe theologically in that moment doesn't matter. I had this experience with divine love that refused to give up. Mm. Like God actually became a very present help in time of need in that moment. Mm. And that flipped the switch for me to say, I was done with me. I was completely done. I hated myself. And this voice had to be God because I was done. 
I had cashed it all in. This was not a cry for attention. I was not looking for help. I was done. I fully intended to die. And yet Mm. you show up saying there's more to my story. Mm. You show up saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't, don't go just, don't go just yet. Just hold on. Let me show you how much better this can be. And I got home a week plus later and Lindsay and I are sitting on the couch day one after being released from the psych ward. And that time is real funky and weird and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. And it's just this really weird space. And I'll never forget we're sitting there and she said, I'm not leaving. Hmm. And I started to, to wail, to weep, to sob uncontrollably because I absolutely believed she was going to leave. Mm. Her family was all for her leaving. Bring that baby to Florida. Get out of there. He's a liar. He's lost it. He's had a breakdown. Wow. You don't have to stay. You have every excuse to leave. Mm. And she's sitting there and she said, I'm, I'm not leaving. If you will tell the truth, if you will ask for help, if you will go to therapy, if you will take your meds, if you will tell me when you're not okay, I'm not leaving because I believe in the truly good man that I married. And this is the line that always gets me. I don't think that the worst day of your life gets to define the rest of your life unless you let it. Amen. So she became the tangible grace of God to me in that moment and in every moment since to say, whatever you think about yourself, whatever horrible things you've said, whatever those tapes are that play over and over, whatever those nightmares are that wake you up sweaty in the middle of the night, whatever that is that tells you that you are not good enough, all it takes to defeat that shame, to begin to defeat that shame is to speak it out loud. Yeah. That's it. Just to ask for help, just to say, I'm not okay. Hmm. And if you surround yourself with trusted people who have your back, who have your best interest at heart, who love you enough to tell you the uncomfortable truth at times and who will never leave you. If you have those people around you and you're willing to get professional help, Hmm. everything can change. Everything can get better. Yeah. It's one of the things I discovered. I took a, a class in school called uh, Soul Care. Mm, and, uh, yeah. I know you're doing like a little soul care thing <laughs> right am. now. Yeah. And uh, it actually made me think of this, but as you're telling the story, um, I took it was a, a week long, like intensive class. So it was like every day from eight to five. Okay. And um, then I, it impacted me so much. I was like, I got to go take it again. So this was at a doctoral level. So then I took it at the master's level, which was a little bit of a longer class, but there it was just so much content in it that I, uh, I was trying to digest. But one of the things that kind of came up in the class is that, you know, shame tells us that we need to keep hiding this thing, mm. but shame, that thing loses its power when we do the opposite of what shame tells us to do. And we bring it out into the open into yeah. the light and we share it with somebody all of a sudden, you know, it's like you're not trying to hide anything anymore. And then the shame just isn't there. Like it, it just disarms the shame in such a powerful way. And I think that that's, I think that's something that the church really could teach more. And I think a lot of people would be so much more free if they realize that. Yep. You yeah. nailed it, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And what a gift in your wife to have somebody who <laughs> says like, I'm, I'm here. Like I'm nailing myself into the ground. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I'm not going anywhere. And you know what? She was this beautiful balance of truth and grace. She did yeah. say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm by your side. If mm-hmm. you will get help, you will tell the truth. Yeah. You, you know, all the, here's the stipulations. She made if a boundary. You do these th- yeah. She did. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is where I'm drawing the line. And if you will do these things, I'm never going to turn my back on you. Yeah. Which is something else. I mean, again, growing up in the church that I don't know about you, but wasn't really modeled very well for me. Like you said earlier, it wasn't if that, like if it was either, either, or it was never, there was never like a mix. There was never truth and grace. It was truth or grace. It was, absolutely. it it wasn't a line. It was a wall. And you know, it's either you're in or you're out, that kind of thing. So I think that that's such a cool thing that even though you had that, upbringing that your wife was able to model that part of, of God for you. Yeah. I think she was able to show me, you're talking about truth or grace. She was able to show me that grace is truth. Yeah, sure. That's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. The only law is grace. The only law is another chance. Yeah. Jesus models it over and over and over again for us in scripture. That's right. So you went from um, the psych ward to where you are, are now. And so I'm overnight, curious. I flipped a switch overnight, right? Just, yeah, I, mean, I took just... a magic pill, a Jesus pill, <laughs> right. and it fixed everything. That's that's the way it works. So first of all, if <laughs> yeah. you could send me some of those pills in the mail, red or blue, that'd yes. be fantastic. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, what advice do you have for somebody who uh, maybe feels like they're in a state of chaos right now? Like maybe they're struggling with shame. Maybe mm. there's something from their past, something from maybe they're very you know, very present for them, but they're they're carrying this thing around. They feel like their life is out of whack. Maybe it's just the COVID-19 stuff. Maybe it's a family mm. situation. Maybe it's a, a mistake that they've made. You know, they're carrying this thing around. Like, what is your advice for somebody to start taking steps out of that sense of shame? Like, if you could go back um, to the, mm. the time when this, all this kind of unraveled in your life, like, what, what advice would you give to that version of yourself now? Boy, oh boy. So I, can we, do we have time to do a coaching exercise? Can I take you through a real quick coaching exercise? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So I just sent this out to my, to my people today, to my email friends. Okay. Um, and I, it's, it's just a sphere of influence. So if you have a paper or you want to pause this podcast and go get paper and pen and come back, unless you're driving and I want you getting paper and pen right now, <laughs> but if you get paper and pen and draw the biggest circle you can draw inside that sheet of paper and then inside that circle draw another circle kind of toward the top of it maybe make the edges touch and draw a smaller circle about a fourth of the size of that larger circle Mm. on the outside of the two circles so in that in that space where where you're outside the circle and there's all that extra space out there i want you to write everything else Mm. Inside the smaller circle, I want you to write within my control. Hmm. And inside the larger circle, I want you to write, I can influence. So this is one of my favorite exercises when I'm feeling overwhelmed Hmm. or stressed or anxious. This is one of my go-tos. Okay, so you got your circles on your paper. 
I want you to take a few minutes and think about, kind of go through this list. You can write them down if you want to on the back of this paper or just make a mental note of the things that are contributing to your anxiety, to your worries, to that feeling of overwhelm. Maybe it's some of those things you mentioned. Maybe it's running out of food. Maybe it's what's going to happen. This COVID-19 thing is all uncertain and what's tomorrow going to look like. The news seems to change hour by hour. Um, maybe it's that dentist appointment that I, I canceled and I can't yet reschedule yeah. or I'm worried about my grandma or I'm feeling really tired or, oh my gosh, how do I balance work and home when I'm working from home and, ah, or lack of work mm. or feelings of guilt for not doing more. Like there's all these things that we might be feeling worried about specifically right now in this time of crisis. Mm. So I want you to write each one of those worry items inside this sphere of influence and then decide there's four questions you have to ask yourself. The first one is, do I have complete control over the worry? If this thing I'm worrying about, I have complete control over, then I should write it in that little circle that says within my control. Hmm. Do I have partial control over this worry? If I don't have complete control, but I have partial control, then I can write it in the larger circle that I can influence hmm. circle. If it is completely outside my control, completely outside my influence, then you have to write it outside those two circles in that wide open space that says everything else. Mm. And then from there, you move on to your next worry. So you go through that process with everything that's on your list. These are all the things that are draining me right now. Mm. Go through those questions, those three, and decide where they go. Mm. Once you've written them all out in sort of that relevant, appropriate space, then look at it. So for the things that you have control over, you have to identify an action. Even if it's a really tiny action, identify an action for each worry. Mm. Um, it's really helpful if you, do, if you do one action today or maybe one action right now mm. and it will make you feel better right now. Even if it's just a percent, you're going to feel better. Yeah. Um, for the items that you put in that larger circle where you have influence or partial control over them, then write down the steps that you're going to take and exactly when you're going to do them, whether that's today or in the next few days. Mm. And then the final step is to let go of everything else. Mm. All that stuff in the everything else field, you got to let go of it because you don't have control over it. My friend Sue, and I, I talk about this in Catching Your Breath, my friend Sue says, the merry-go-round has a motor. Mm. All you have to do is get on and ride. Yeah. So you have to give yourself permission to take the cross off your back or the cape, whatever it is for you, <laughs> come down off that thing and not be the savior of the whole world. You can't change everything today. You can't heal all the sick people today. You can't make all the depressed people feel better today. You can't. So you have to let go of all those things. And then the good news is now you get to choose how you're going to spend your energy. Mm. You get to choose to focus on what is within your control, what is within your influence, because everything else that you're focusing on is a total waste of energy and it's yeah. gonna keep you from showing up fully in the other areas of your life where you are desperately needed. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's it's about my being, little tip. Yeah. I think it's about being aware of what's going on in your mind. Like think about mm. what you're thinking mm. about, right? Because so yeah. often we just let stuff fly into our minds. We don't think twice about it, but in reality, if we stop, like you just described, long enough to 
put different things in categories, we'll see that sometimes the things that are overwhelming us the most are the things that are most out of our control. And if we would just focus on those things that we can influence, that we can make a difference with, um, I think it alleviates a lot of the, the pressure. I've seen that in my own life anyway. Yeah. My friend Ashley, um, Ashley Davis is a therapist in Birmingham and she says, you are only responsible for the things you can touch. Yeah. And that gives us so much more permission to be human. You're not a machine. You're not some algorithm. You can't just keep going, especially when crisis is happening. We've got to have more downtime, more stillness. We've got to be able to take care of ourselves or we're going to burn out way quicker than than normal in normal time, (laughs) whatever normal time is. (laughs) Right. So one of the things you talk about in the book that I wanted to ask you about is kind of the ways in which um, you connect with God and how that's changed for you. Because you have a section in the book where you talk about how um, as you've kind of progressed or evolved in your your faith and things have deconstructed, for lack of a better word, like that the way you connect with God, the way you view God, like that's changed. So I'm wondering, like, what is it about how you connect with God that's changed? And why was there a need for a change? And I ask that because we have a lot of people that listen to the the podcast who are kind of in that phase of rethinking their faith and they're asking like, well, how do I, how do I connect with God if I don't really believe the same things about God that I used to believe? Like, do I still need to approach him in the same way? Like, is there, you know, is there a different way that I can go about having a deeper connection with God? So like, what, what are your thoughts about that? Oh man, this is one of my favorite conversations in the whole world. Oh, it's one of my favorite <laughs> things to coach around. So you'll have mm. to shut me up, Steve. Like, hey, we've been talking two hours, Steve. Stop. <laughs> Stop it's it one breaks. of my favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, I gotta have water. Um, <laughs> so what you believe about God is, if not the most important thing in your whole life, it's at least the second most important thing. Yeah. And the only way it's the second most important thing is if what you believe about yourself is number one. Mm. So those two things flip flop for me often because they are so intertwined mm. what, here. Okay. So in a nutshell, what you believe about God matters because it directly impacts what you believe about yourself. Yeah. If I believe that God is this fear mongering, heavenly evil Santa Claus who's making his list and checking it twice and going to find out who's going to be sent to hell forever. Mm. Wait, that, that, that went really crazy. Really quick. <laughs> but if, if that's who God is yeah. and, and I'm worthless without him, mm. I'm broken. I'm, I mean, I'm just a piece of crash without him, if I'm just trash, if I'm just a pile of crap, then why does my life matter? Yeah. Right? Like, Mm. of course. So I'm thinking specifically about our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Mm. If, If we've been told, if they've been told that they're not good enough because of the way they were made, because of how they were born if if you're not good enough because of your sexuality and and that's what i infer from god if that's what i'm getting from god's mouthpiece the church mm. then why wouldn't i infer that my life is worthless that god must hate me i might as well hate myself i might as well just die mm. So let's go look at the suicide numbers for that specific community. I didn't plan on going here, but I guess we're <laughs> going to go here now. Go look at the suicide numbers for that specific community. 
well, no wonder they're through the roof compared to other marginalized populations because we've told them you have no place here. You're not welcome here. So, oh my gosh, what you believe about God matters so much. And as important, what you don't believe about God matters. So I believed in this angry, egotistical, emotionally unstable, abusive, fear-mongering God for years. And I was convinced that if I wasn't a good little boy, that my name was going to go on the naughty list, which is the opposite of the Lamb's Book of Life, for those of you who don't know. (laughs) Right? And so growing up with that fear-based God left me in a constant state of shame. I believe that every time I screwed up, whatever that was, right, there's all these expectations that you're never going to live up to. And so every time you don't live up to these unrealistic expectations of church people, you're a failure and God's going to abandon you. Yeah. Well, abandonment and shame are kissing cousins. They Mm. walk hand in hand everywhere they go. So, so there are all these implications. If I can't live up to those unrealistic expectations, I'm worthless. Maybe I should die. Also, if I can never live up to those unrealistic expectations of God, then no one else can ever live up to my unrealistic expectations of them. That's right. So that's who I was before deconstruction. I was this judgy, critical, like, oh my gosh, I was the worst. Mm. And in that brand of Christianity, we focus on outward behavior and that's it. And it's to the yeah. detriment of genuine faith. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really important to sit down, make a list. Here's what I believe about God. Here's what I don't believe about God. Yeah. And there's actually, I'll send you a link to a blog. I wrote about this, I don't know, beginning of the month. I'll send you a link um, if you want to include it in the show notes or yeah, whatever. Definitely. Um, but there's a worksheet you can download right from the blog. You don't have to sign up for an email list or anything. Just download the worksheet. Um, for a lot of my clients, when we're working through healing their image of God, a lot of times they'll go through this list and they'll still be stuck with this pretty crappy version of God. <laughs> because... <laughs> God, this, this, that which we call God, whatever that is, is it's still way out there. And it's, it's like stretchy and gray and I can't quite get my hands around it. It like slips through my fingers. And Mm. what is that? Yeah. So the next step for me is to get people to imagine Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Because if you believe Jesus is God from God, light from light. Like if you believe all that, that Jesus is the best example of God we've got on earth. Mm. Well, Jesus is a little more tangible for a lot of people. Yeah. So that's my next step with clients, friends, whoever, is to do the very same thing. Put yourself in some of your favorite Bible stories with Jesus. Mm. Suspend what you know about him or have been taught about him. Mm. And imagine that you're there in that story, hmm. whether it's the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus and the wee little man, like whatever it is, imagine that you're there and this is your first encounter with Jesus. What do you notice about his character? How does he interact with the people around him? What is he saying? What is he saying not only to this wounded person that he's interacting with, what is he saying to these nasty, god-awful, whitewashed tomb religious people that are standing around saying who knows what? And then begin to reimagine your image of God 
after you've gotten really clear on who Jesus is and who yeah. Jesus isn't. Yeah. So I think it's one of the most important questions you huh. can ask. I like that. I think I'm thinking back on my own story and I think that I used to view God as the, you know, the angry God who was you know, angry at my sin and he, you know, had to punish Jesus because he had to take it out on somebody like that whole thing. And that the way I approached God then is entirely different than the way I approach God now. And I think to the story, yeah. one of the stories in the Bible that had a big impact on me was the story when Jesus calmed the storm and mm. he, he says to the disciples, you know, Oh, you of little faith. And 15 years ago, you know, I looked at that as a, as a shaming kind of phrase, Ugh, you know, you of little faith. Like, yeah. Like what Jeez. is wrong with you? You know? Yeah. And, but now when I look at it, I almost in my mind see like Jesus sitting down next to the disciples next to Peter and put his arm on his shoulder, say, Peter, man, I know this is hard, you know, like just talking to him, yeah. talking him through it and be like, I, I know you don't feel like you have a lot of faith right now. You know, I know that the storm is, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's rocky. I know it's windy, like kind of walking him through it as opposed to shaming him. And I think that that the way that I now connect with God is entirely different. And therefore oh, yeah. the way I approach God is very different. Um, as well. Yeah. And so it has this beautiful, like what I believe about God then has to inform what I believe about myself and yeah. what I believe about other people Yeah, for sure. and how I interact, interact with the world around me. Yep. So, so here's mine. What I've, what I believe about God, who God is present, dependable, love, involved, mm. patient, my healer, but not that way. Mm. What I don't believe about God, a control freak, angry, my abuser, bound by religion, cosmic Santa or beck and call girl hmm. or American. Hmm. That's the one that'll get you. So, right. <laughs> so the last question on that worksheet is how does what I believe about God inform what I believe about myself and others? Here's what, here's my response. I believe God is an ever present help in time of need, hmm. choosing to love me because of, and sometimes in spite of myself. Yep. Because God's very nature is love. Hmm. Because God is involved in my life and dependable. I don't have to fear the egotistical, emotional, angry God of my childhood. And I don't have to perform or have all the answers all the time because God is patient with me, hmm. his child. As a result of this loving view of God, I will do my best to be loving toward myself and others, living from a heart of compassion and empathy rather than judgment and fear. I will give myself and others the space to breathe and just be. It changes everything. You've heard of David Hayward, right? The Naked Pastor. Oh, yeah. What a great guy. Yep. Yeah. So he's got this. I just pulled it up on my phone because I saw it the other day. But he has this image of um, a little boy who's standing in front of his father who's sitting in a, like a reclining chair reading a magazine. And the title of the the strip is how a child should not talk to his father. Yes. And it says, to the boy says to the father, dear father, I'm unworthy to be called your child. Let me be your servant to do your will. Use me as your instrument. Take my mind, take my heart, take my body, take my life. I am nothing. So consume me with your purpose and for your glory, even though I'm the worst person in the world. And the father's looking at the kid like, what the heck? What the heck has right? just happened? But I yeah. think that, that like when you look at something like that, you're like, I look at my daughter who's three. I would never in my wildest dreams expect her to approach me anything close to that. You know, like I would never want that for her, but yet yeah. we look at God and I, I was brought up to believe that that's how God expects us to approach him. 
And when something shifts in your mind, like for me, you talked about uh, Manning's book. For me, it was Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Mm, that's that a good one too. <laughs> destroyed me. Cause I, I yeah. read that book and I've told this story in the podcast before, but it was such a defining moment for me because like I'd read all of Rob's books up to that point. And I was in youth ministry too. So the NUMA videos were big, like mm-hmm. everybody loved those things. And so the, the book came out and I went to the local uh, Christian bookstore to get it. And I went up to the guy, I'm like, I don't see the new Rob Bell book. Like it's a sold out. He's like, Oh, we're not carrying that book here. <laughs> I was like, why? And he's like, well, have you, have you, have you heard about it? I'm like, I've heard about it, but I haven't read it yet. He's like, well, we took all of his books off the shelf. I'm like, Good Lord. I'm like, well, I'm going to Barnes and Noble to get this thing. Cause this is you know, pretty wild, you know? So I got in my car and I went to Barnes and Noble and I went and I got the book and I read like three quarters of it that night. And it just totally, I was like, I can't believe there's another way to think about God. Yeah. And, and what really rocked my world is that I'm like, how have I been involved in the church since I was a kid? I've gone through fourth through 12th grade at a private Christian school. You know, I'm in Bible college. Like, how have I not known this? How has this been kept yep. a secret from me? Yep. And once I allowed myself to open myself up to maybe this could be true, everything changed. And the oh, yeah. way that I talk to God, like that little boy to his father is just no, <laughs> it's no more. His book, What is the Bible?, did oh, yeah. the very same thing for me with the Bible. I hadn't read my Bible in like three years before yeah. that book came out. I had to put it, it was just too toxic and twisted. And yep. it's like, I need a break from this book. Yep. And man, when What Is the Bible came out and I read it and it came out, you know, around the same time that Rachel Held Evans Inspired came out, mm. both of those nudged me back to the story beneath the story. Let's yeah. see what else is going on here. Think about the real people. Put like put yourself in their place. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. That could be that could be another conversation we can have is about the Bible because I'd like to hear more of your thoughts around Man, around that topic. <laughs> just that move from fear to love, looking yeah. for the arc of love through the whole from Genesis to Revelation. If you just look at love, it changes everything. Yeah. Oh, it really boy, does. Oh well, man, this has been a lot of fun, uh, but we are just about out of time. Um, before oh, I let so you, fun. yeah, no, right. Before I let you <laughs> go though, <laughs> where, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So the best place to go is catching your breath.com. Okay. It's the name of the book. It's the name of my podcast. Uh, you can sign up for my free courses there. You can connect with me on social media from there. You can find out about my coaching. It's all there at catchingyourbreath.com. Mm. And uh, one last word for our listeners, uh, for the person who is caught in that chaos mode, uh, what are your parting words for them as the ex, ex-pastor, Pastor Austin? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Austin. Oh man. Uh, my parting words are this. Ask for help. Yeah. Don't suffer in silence. Mm. Whether you call the suicide prevention lifeline or you call whoever that trusted like ride or die homie is for you, yeah whatever that person or organization is that makes you feel safe and accepted, Mm. um, reach out to them. Maybe it's the LGBTQ community center in your town. Mm. Um, Maybe it's the mental health clinic. Maybe it's your pastor. Um, (laughs) Whatever that is that makes you feel 
safe and like you belong and like you're good enough, reach out to them and tell the truth. Mm. Like that's, it all starts with going, I'm not okay. And I need help. Mm -hmm. If you can just start there, there are people who can help you get okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's where you start. Good. Bring it out of the darkness, right? Yep, that's it. That's it. it. Well, man, I'll put all your links to all your stuff in the show notes, and uh, we're going to do this again soon. Thank you, friend. This was so much fun. I sure appreciate it. Thanks, man. Me too. Bye-bye. Work.